Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Scoopy Radio with Brandon Robinson. Scoopy Radio. Welcome to another edition of Heavy Live with Scoopy. I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. And today we have not one, but two special guests today. First and foremost, make sure that you guys are subscribed to all of the platforms that are involved uh, with Heavy Live. I believe this is broadcasted on Heavy on Lakers, Heavy on Celtics, and a myriad of other places, as well as um, on Twitter uh, via Periscope at Scoop B on Twitter, as well as Heavy YouTube channel. You can subscribe to that at youtube.com slash heavy. But enough out of me. Uh, I did say we had two guests, and first and foremost, uh, this would have not been possible uh, without the, the collaborative effort of uh, a few people. Jean-Michel Moutier, welcome right. to Heavy Live with Scoop B. Appreciate it, man. Southern Methodist University legend, I'm told. <laughs> That's what they say, man. <laughs> Sources say. <laughs> and then also uh, on this Brady Bunch box that I have uh, here on uh, Heavy Live with Scoopy, we got a, my main man fresh out the bubble, uh, Emmanuel Moutier of the Utah Jazz. What's going on, Chief? What's happening, man? What's good? Man, trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with that. We all trying to do that. Word. Last time I saw you guys was actually a few years ago over the Jason and Beverly Hills gifting suite for the you weren't a rookie, but you was chilling. I remember we were talking after hours, free haircuts, yep. gift bags, and bags was looking lovely. Yeah, yeah. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Gotta catch back up soon for sure. The show for sure. When this thing is when we're not boarding the house and in the house board, I, I'm curious <laughs> from your perspective. Um bubble life. Um yeah. when you first Landing on Plymouth Rock, a.k.a. Uh, Lakeland, Florida, on the campus. What was your first thought? Was it what you imagined it would look like? Um, No, everything about it was kind of a little different. Uh, honestly, I was shocked that we made it as far as we did. Uh, you know, we was thinking like some of us probably going to be here a week, a few days, and then just going to be like, I can't take it anymore. But 
um, I think when basketball started like happening, when we started competing, you know, even practicing, uh, it kind of just felt like, okay, we're just going to hoop. And then after that, you just had to find a routine to, to make sure you can last the whole time, however long you were going to be there. So, Jean-Michel, as Emmanuel's brother, uh, I know I didn't go to the bubble as a writer. I refused. My, I was on strict orders from my mother not to go. As as the brother of, of a professional NBA player and you playing in college as well, were you apprehensive uh, for your brother to report to Florida? Uh, sure, man. At first, um, we just wanted to get all the facts right. You know, how it was going to be and all, um, you know, what was going to be going on in the bubble. Was it going to be safe? So that was kind of the stuff that we talked about first. Uh, but once we got some of those answers, uh, I mean, we was cool with him going. And uh, I was actually going to go when um, they let the family back in there, but they got out in the first round. So I was getting ready to get out there into the, to the bubble. They told you you ain't got the answer, Sway. <laughs> <laughs> they did. I mean – Emmanuel, um, the Utah Jazz. Uh, you guys lost to the Denver Nuggets um, in a in a in a thrilling um, series. It just happened. Um, were you shocked that the Nuggets beat you guys? Uh yeah, I'm gonna say yeah. Uh, I, I didn't. I wasn't shocked at the the fight they had. Um, you know, I mean, y'all just seen it. They just did it against the Clippers too. But which, you know, makes us feel a little better. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, and I played with a lot of those guys when I got drafted by Denver. So I knew like, you know, Coach Malone and uh, a lot of their assistants. And I knew the most of the team, honestly. So I knew those guys had a lot of dog, a lot of fight in them. Um, but we also said, you know, uh, that closing game, we was up 3-1 uh, going into game five, six, we're like, okay, we, we have to win this one because if we don't win this one, you know, we give them any daylight, then it, it can be a whole different series. But we were shocked, but at the same time, we knew what they were capable of. You know, Hass goes out to them. Uh, you know, Jamal and Nicola, they they really, really picked it up. They stepped it up. And, you know, Don was – Don Rudy, you know, some of our guys, Mike, was having a, a great series too, but – I think once once we gave him that momentum, uh, it was tough, tough to stop. I would imagine, Jean-Michel, you playing basketball yourself, you're sending – point guards are extensions to the coach on the floor. Yeah. Uh, Quinn Snyder, heck of a coach. Jean-Michel, what were the text message exchanges with your brother like from from a perspective of, like, adjustments in the game? Yeah. Shoot, man. He – I think he get tired of me texting. Sometimes I text him at halftime. <laughs> And, uh, you know, because I'm watching the game from a different perspective from what he, he's playing. So he, he doesn't see he doesn't necessarily see everything that I see. Uh, so sometimes I might talk to him about his defensive, you know, positions or trailing screens or, you know, because sometimes he gets a lot of separation on his screen. So I'll talk to him about that. I'll text him at halftime. Or, uh, you know, if he's taking shots that he shouldn't be taking, I'll be like, yeah, man, take the shots here or there. You know, it might work better. And uh, shoot, man, quick story. One time last year, uh, I think it was with the Knicks. And uh, they was playing the Lakers at the Staples Center. Mm-hmm. And so I'm at the game because I was in L.A. for a couple of years. I lived out there for a couple of years. So I'm out there at the game. And, uh, man, he had a horrible first half. And so I text him. I have time, like, a not, not, not a nice message, right? So trying trying to get him going. And he's like, uh, he didn't respond because usually he responds. He didn't respond to that one. And uh, 
he came out the second half, had a crazy second half. So after the game, I'm like, yo, you, you get my text message? He said, yeah, man, I got it. I looked at it. I was like, man, all right. Yeah. So he, he, he had it, you know. He gets tired of me texting him sometimes, but, you know, that's my job, man. I would imagine that would be bulletin board material. <laughs> Fact. I mean, the thing, though, is, like, I don't need – you know how you can always have somebody – you have somebody in your ear or in your head, you know, you can hear them, like, what they say, even if that person's not next to you. So uh, he's, like, a, I guess a, he has a real bright mind when it comes to basketball. So his, his opinion definitely means something. And he's not gonna, you know, BS me. He's not gonna be like, oh, you had a, you know, you, you know, some people have a trash game and they tell him you did good, but you know, in reality, you know, you know, you were sorry that game. So uh, he doesn't hold back, and you know, I have times sometimes even when I, I just see his name across my my phone, um, that that definitely triggers me. So I don't even read it sometimes because I mean I'm so locked in, but I just know like. He's just trying to tell me like what he's doing, what what he wants me to do, and what he sees out there. So um, definitely, I definitely is appreciated. But at the same time, I, I know now what I have to do just because you know I growing up with him and my other brother step too. They was tough on me, and I know what they expect, including my team, including my coach, my own team, my my coaches, you know. And um, so I, it's just a different different way the message comes through. I'll say that. Tell me something. You you, you see a lot of brother um, player tandems. They package deals. Um, I'm curious to know from your NBA perspective, if not you and your brother, what other NBA player do you know whose brother is as tough or tougher on a fellow NBA brethren as you? That's not a name yet. That's not you. Or that is in the NBA. So your brother's hard on you. What other yeah. NBA other NBA players have brothers as hard on them from your Ooh. brother? Um, or sisters? A lot. But um, personally that Stop I know. Radio. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say brother. I'll probably, can I say a, a parent? It's your world. We just live. <laughs> yeah, so like, um, you know, one, shoot, y'all see Jamal, how he's hooping. Uh, so me and Jamal were teammates for a couple of years, and uh, you know, sometimes we used to run into each other late nights at the at the gym, and he used to be I used to be with my trainer, and he used to have his dad. So his dad is the person who trains. If y'all get a, a chance to like look at Jamal's story, he can, you know, he he breaks it down how it was. But his his dad was pretty pretty tough on him for sure. So um, um, I see, and you see that translating to today and when he's hooping. So I'll say I seen his dad getting on him for sure. The reason why I brought you guys here today, we're going to talk a plethora. I just wanted to use that word, a plethora of basketball. Uh, That's a good word. That's a good word. <laughs> um, but you, you guys, uh, what I found fascinating, I talked to your brother over the weekend, and um, you know, you guys in your Emmanuel Moutier uh, Foundation, uh, which is a nonprofit organization. I'm reading from Instagram, but make sure you all visit or follow uh, their Instagram page, and Emmanuel Moutier Fund, and that's a fund with FND. Um, the foundation is to uplift single parents and children and feed the people in communities across the globe that Emmanuel has called home. Um, what I found interesting about you guys' story um, is that um, when I see you, people don't realize that you are an international player um, and that you know, you're from the Congo and that you moved to Dallas, the Dallas, Texas area. 
And from just doing my research on you, I used this analogy and your brother was cracking up. It reminds me of coming to America. The part where they say, when I say the boy has his own money, he has his own money. Yeah, yeah. You, you the man in Congo, both of you. That, that, that's, it's funny you said, that's actually my favorite movie of all time. Really? Uh, yeah, coming to America. I mean, just because the little story plot, you know, he came to America or whatnot. And that's what we did. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely home, uh, being from Congo. I and, mean, you know, you never forget where you came from. That's my roots. Uh, first language is French. So, you know, my mom still speaks French to me every day. Uh, so make sure I don't forget it. So I'm fluent in that. And just the culture. Um, and, you know, we got a lot of stuff going back uh, back there in Congo that me, my family, the foundation, we're trying to do to just, you know, make it a better place, a better situation. Um, there's a lot of opportunity there to um, just, like I said, make it a better situation. A lot of, a lot of families don't have the opportunity that families do here in America or where, whether that's different places. So, uh, and you know, my mom, she raised us by, by herself. Uh, she was a single mother of three. Um, so we also try to just with the foundation, try to help single mothers out as much as we can. Cause you know, growing up, I've seen it, and my brother can speak on that too. He's seen it, so we're just trying to make it a better living um, for kids that you know got one parent and help the parent out as well. So I mean, I can speak on that too a little bit. For sure, your your father and kind of time bridging the gap between being the, the accountability partner, as they say in the church, um, as far as your game is concerned, but also you know bridging that gap. Your father passed away when you were young. Jean-Michel, how did that portion play into your ability to want to wanna be philanthropic and all the other things that are going on with you guys in your foundation? Yeah, man, that played a huge role. Uh, like I said, my our father passed when he was young. Uh, and really, we didn't have anyone to look up to. Uh, the next person in line was my eight-year-old brother, my older, our oldest brother. He was eight years old at the time. Eight years old at the time. Mm-hmm. And, man, <clears throat> he stepped in and did a great job, uh, you know, we say all the time, we look to him as a father figure. You know, me and him are two years apart. And I still look at him as that kind of like that father figure because of, you know, the, the amazing job that he did raising, uh, you know, helping raise us. Because uh, I think a lot of people don't know, when we moved to America, my mom uh, moved out here a year before us. So we stayed back, you know, just the three of us with our grandparents. And, um, you know, grandparents, they, they're older, so they, they don't, you know, keep up as much as, you know, they, as a parent would with the things that are going on. But my brother did a great job. But um, that kind of helped us, you know, mold us into the man that we are today. And instead of going left, you know, he made sure we went right and made sure that we did the right things as far as like helping out, you know, now that we know what it's like to be in that position, uh, sure. we're using all of those experiences, man, to try to pour into other people you know, pouring to other families that are in same, you know, in similar situations than us. Uh, every situation is not always the same, but uh, people out there need help. And, um, you know, that's really what we want to do. That's really our, our goal. Each one teach one, the higher the elevator goes up, it's your responsibility to send it back down. With COVID going on, how are you guys using your foundation, um, I guess, philanthropically? Yeah, so um, we just had a, a, a two back-to-school events. Um, you know, things opened up a little bit. Uh, so we gave out school supplies uh, in Austin. Uh, we partnered with a great foundation, a Legends Life Foundation, which is Legend. Uh, you, you, you met Ledge. Uh, you know, partnered up with him. 
you know, he's been a great help. That foundation has been a great help for us. Um, and we did two back to school events. So we did one in Austin, we did one in Dallas. So we gave out a bunch of supplies and we also give out like, um, you know, hand sanitizers and masks and stuff like that. Um, we did a drive through uh, instead of, uh, you know, being hands on and touch, you know, dealing with the people touching, we did a drive uh, drive through. Uh, so we just kind of have a car drive by and just, just kind of give, give out the, the items. Uh, so we got that going. And then we also have a back to, uh, after school event or after school program that we're doing. Uh, and we partner with a uh, fourth family out of New York for that, uh, with a legends life and the fourth family out of New York, uh, which is a great, uh, they do great stuff with STEM. Uh, so we got this STEM program going on that we're going to be doing virtual. Uh, so that's going to be something new because it's virtual. It's not, uh, it's going to be a learning experience for sure, but uh, they got that part down. So they kind of, you know, grooming us through that. And we're going to try to, you know, pour out to into the youth as much as we can virtually. You talked about ledge. I want to give a shout out to LeJean Wright and also uh, to Will Robertson who connected the dots there as well. Um, you talked about being digital. I think DJ D nice set the foundation for, for, for club quarantine. And now we're learning through zoom calls. Yeah. Emmanuel, I, I'm curious. Um, you, we talked about you being from the Congo. Um, you, you have skipped and jumped a few different places. So you lived in the Congo and you moved to America. Where, where all did you live M minus your MBA and your China, your, your China, uh, your Chinese connect being in China? Where were you, you know, before that? Uh, Dallas, okay. <laughs> like you said, I, I grew up in Dallas. Uh, Everything that I try to do too is, you know, I try to incorporate Dallas just in there. With me, home is definitely Congo, Africa, and definitely Dallas, Texas, um, the DFW area. I try to give back here as much as I can. Um, you know, I kind of say this place raised me for sure. Um, and I always call home. Everybody that knows me knows that Dallas, Texas, that's like my favorite state, to be honest. I'm biased a little bit, but at the same time, can't beat it. It's cheap too. <laughs> Yeah, so they, they got them dollar, those dollar iced teas in Dallas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. any food, I think definitely top three best food places, you know, our cities is definitely Dallas. Do you ever look at Luka Doncic and those guys in the Mavericks and be like, man, I wish I could be living large like this in the, at the crib? <laughs> uh, nah, but I, I am appreciative for what they're doing for the city, though. Luka and, you know, Tim Hardaway, I play with Tim. I play with Trey Burke, you know. <laughs> what they're doing definitely they're doing their thing for sure and it makes me proud to be somebody that's from dallas or that grew up in dallas to see the city like being happy like that yo michelle i think your dog wants to be in the interview he do man he always he always <laughs> want to be in the mix <laughs> he want to be all up in the videos he always want to be in the mix man every time somebody's at the crib he want to start barking and stuff <laughs> No, that's real. Uh, we talked about the Congo. Matumbo easily comes to mind. Um, who were some of your Congo influences? And this is, I guess, a question for the both of you. Who did who who is it your your who are your favorite Congolese NBA players? Basketball. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you said one. I mean, ain't too ain't too many that, that you know came out of there. We got we got me, Bismack. Biombo, we got you know Serge. He's from the kind of the, the same area. Ibaka, Matombo. Um, I guess he's like the the pioneer. He's the one that everybody looked up to and try to. Um, I wouldn't say try to model our game after him, but just what he did for the uh, continent and for the for the country. 
uh, that's somebody that's like the the Don, the, the the person that started off or made paved the way for all of us to come and try to follow the, our our dreams just how he did. Can I make a suggestion? No. Since it, it ain't that many, it's not a ton of y'all. Y'all no. need like a secret Congo handshake. Whenever y'all see each other, y'all watch your hand. And that's the thing, though. The thing is, everybody's trying to um, put on something to where we can go back and do it together, I think, to, you know, help what's going on over there. Um, you know, DJ Bengals with the Lakers for a little bit. He's from that area. Um, so we're, we're trying to figure out how to put something together to where we can go back and do something special for the um, for the, for our place, our, our home. We actually got something going with, uh, with Bismack. We got some, you know, in the works with Bismack right now yeah. that we're trying to put together. So once he comes into uh, fruition, man, we'll put that out there. Nobody beats the biz. <laughs> yes, he did. The next prayers, the future prayers. I talked to him uh, back like two months ago uh, on, on my yeah. podcast, B Radio, and I learned a lot about the Players Association. Yeah. Yes. He's one of six. Oh, he's, he's, into, he's into all of that, too. That. He a busy man when it comes to everything he got going on. Man, oh man. Um, yeah. When I learned so much about the six vice presidents, what Chris Paul does versus what Kyrie does versus what CJ McCullough does versus what Iguodala does. Mm -hmm. um, brother, um, I don't wish that on the next president or whoever the president <laughs> of the United States is. It's a lot of politics. Nah, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. That's, that's how it is. Tell me something. Um, first and foremost, you are an unrestricted free agent. I, I, I'm, I'm almost tempted to say this summer, but it's all tomorrow. Right. Um, what do you like about Utah? Man, Utah was great for me. Uh, you know, I have nothing but great things to say about Utah. Uh, when I chose to go to Utah, um, you know, I, Coach, Coach Quinn started. He talked to me on the phone during free agency last year. He said, you know, when you come over here, we know what you can do, but you're going to have to sacrifice a lot. And, you know, that's with probably scoring or playing time, all of that. So I knew what it was going in from the jump. Uh, he told me some games you might, you know, you might be the guy that we got to look forward to to go in there and, you know, make stuff happen in some games. It might not be that. And that's exactly what it was. But I just took my role with it. And I always wanted to be on a playoff team. I think that's what my, my main thing was, uh, you know, early in my career. I I was on good teams, but we weren't good enough to make the playoffs. So I just wanted to go to something new, something different. And what's funny is I always told myself, first time I ever been to Utah, I was like, man, I can never play here. <laughs> I was just because the, you know, the city and all that. I, I wasn't used to it. I'd never been there. But when the opportunity came, it's funny because that's the first choice I, I made. I was like, man, I'm going to go to Utah. And the team is, is good. The players were great. Um, you know, I got close to a lot of those guys. Uh, it's a fun group to be around. You know, Mike Mike held it down for me for sure. Mike Conley, uh, Ed Davis. Uh, those are definitely my my guys that, you know, uh, made sure I stayed, stayed on track and stuff like that. And even the whole team, Coach Q was was great. Um, Johnny O'Brien, I mean, Johnny Bryant, he was an assistant coach. Shout out to Johnny. Uh, I just learned a lot, man, about the game and off the court as well. And it helped me become a better person and a better player at the same time. And on top of that, I went for what I got a chance to do is witness the playoffs and win. So it made it even that much funner. The bunker myth for me. Does Donovan Mitchell's game 
in his resurgence. Not even resurgence because he's he's still fairly in a, a new car. But does his does the way he plays and the way that everybody paid attention to other players in his draft class does that storyline remind you of Dwayne Wade? Mm. Somewhat, yeah. Uh, and they got a lot of similarities too when it comes to the game. So, yeah. And I think one thing about Don that people are forgetting too is, you know, he came in to his rookie year where he averaged, he's been averaging 20 since he's been in the league. For his rookie year, he averaged 20. And like I said, he's been averaging 20. But I think people are expecting, Usually you work your way up like this, right? Like you get you draft you get drafted, you might average 10, then it's 15, then it's 20, like that. But he made such an impact his first year, people don't let him have a um a moment of um how can I explain it? Like not failing moment, but just a moment of he doesn't have a lot of room to be normal. Be normal, exactly. There you go. To be him. So I think the pressure that he plays with, but at the same time, how he performs is, you know, it, it speaks to him and how he works. So he had a great year. Uh, Y'all saw 50, the 50 balls in the playoffs and all that. So one thing about him is he he loves the game, and I, I see him put in the work a lot. And he's one of those guys that he's the man on the team, but he makes everybody feel like they're very, very important. So – um, and he's learning as well. Me and him, the same age right now, 24. So he's learning just as much, um, and he's going to get better and better, in my opinion. They say cash money is coming for the 9-9-2000, but Murphy <laughs> told me that that cash money is, is dumping off, of, of, is, is, a, is in, a, in a Brinks truck, dumping off in front of his house. How happy are you for him to get that extension? Yeah, man, I'm happy. Like I said, I see him put in the work, and he's – a teammate that's always checking in on everybody. He'll FaceTime you at random times, like, yo, what you doing? I was just saying what you was on. He'll ask you if you want to go to a trip with him, stuff like that. And it's stuff that people don't see that makes him him and makes him who he is and is a great person. And um, another thing I can say is he wants to win. Like, that's that's something that he really wants to do. He He's still hurt, honestly, right now about the whole, you know, 3-1 situation. Uh, he wants to be playing so bad right now, especially, you know, seeing how um, Denver was able to beat um, the Clippers. He just wanted the same opportunity, same chance, which we all did. But it meant you could tell it meant a little bit more to him. Jean-Michel, tell me something. Uh, I'm not leaving you, you know, uh, out on the wing and just giving him the ball because he has the hot hand. I'm curious from your perspective. Um, you like that. But from your perspective – do you like the fit for Emmanuel in Utah? Uh, do you get a ringing endorsement for him to return if the opportunity presents itself? Yeah, I, um, I do like the fit for him in Utah. Uh, I mean, it's a great organization just to be able to be a part of that organization. They, it's a small market, so they have to do everything right. You know what I'm saying? They have to treat the, the, the players and, uh, you know, the, the families right the way so they can keep, you know, the talent that they have there. And they do just that. Uh, so as far as that goes, man, it's a great opportunity. As far as the court, on the court, you know, it's basketball. Once the ball is out there, you know, once you throw the ball out there, you just got to play. You know, no matter what your role is, you just got to play. So I do like the fit there. Uh, you know, if it's an opportunity to present itself for him to go back there, I wouldn't oppose to that at all. Manuel, Utah. Same question. 
Yeah, you want to come back? I'm like I said, I'm open to it. But you know, obviously, I'm gonna see what's going on. But like I said, they taught me so much. Um, the the staff was amazing. I have nothing you know negative to say about Utah. Uh, everything was great. Um, so if if it's there, you know, it's something that I'll definitely look into. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm not about to make a, a decision right now. <laughs> that, but yeah. Yeah. But definitely, man, like like I said, the team was great as well. And that's something that I'll definitely reconsider for sure. No, that's real. I, I'm curious to know because I have you on the line. Um, the day that the NBA shut down, you guys played against, I believe it was the OKC. OKC. I've heard different variations of that story. And I'd be remiss. I, I, I kept caught up with people who were on the Lakers uh, plane when they found out that Kobe passed away. These are stories that people want to know. I'm mm-hmm. curious to know from your perspective what you saw, how it all went down before they canceled the game. What happened? Yeah, man, that's a crazy day. I don't think I ever forget that day. So uh, it might take a little time. We've been on, sure, it might take about three minutes story. Okay. But, uh, that yeah. time. <laughs> We um, obviously we was in OKC and um, we we heard about the whole coronavirus thing going around, but we didn't think obviously you don't think it's gonna hit you know us or America as hard as it did at that time. It was in China, it was in uh, you know all over, but it wasn't as bad here in the U.S. So um, we're in we're in OKC and we're chilling. And then um, from what I heard, I mean, I talked to Rudy too. Rudy said he was, um, I heard that Rudy was feeling a little, um, he had a fever. So when Rudy had a fever, uh, he said it was like 102 or something like that, but he said he felt fine. Like after that, he felt fine. And so that morning, me personally, I, we had a shoot around. I woke up, man, I'm coughing, I'm, my nose is running. Like, all this. So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, it's flu, like it's just the flu, like whatever. I got a cold or whatever. So I ask, I call our trainer. I'm like, yo, man, I'm not going to make shoot around. I'm just going to rest, but I'll be good for the game later. Like I, I said, I'll be good for the game later. Next thing I know, boom, 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 boom I hear big knocks on the door. They're like, yo, we got to take you to get tested for the coronavirus, et cetera. And I'm like, yo, I'm just, I'm chilling. Like I said, it's just a cold. Like I'm fine. I don't need no tests, nothing. I've had this feeling before I know what it is. It's like, nah, they keep saying that it might feel like that. It, that might not be it. And then they were like, Ruby went and got tested yesterday, but um, he got tested for the, uh, for the cold or the flu. So he went and got tested yesterday and his came neg- he, his came back negative that he had the cold or flu, which you wanted it to be the cold sure. or the flu. Right, so you wanted to be that you wanted that to be positive, and then so I went that morning. I got tested, and mine came back positive for the uh, for the flu, for a cold like symptom, whatever. So I was in clear. So I'm thinking like, okay, cool, but uh, I wasn't feeling still up until then. I still wasn't feeling up to like, man. I don't know if I'll be able to play. Like I'm just, I'm all messed up. So then um, they tell me that you know Rudy has to get back. Rudy has to get tested again because his came back negative for the cold or the flu, and now we're going to test him for the uh, coronavirus. And so he went, and by this time, you know everybody's heading to the gym and this that. And Rudy was going to play that that day too. Like he was, he was feeling fine. He heading to the gym, so I didn't go to. The, me and Rudy did not go to the gym. 
we didn't, we never got on the bus or nothing to go to the arena. And so the, um, the news came out that, you know, he had it. And as soon as he the news came out saying that he had it, people found out that I wasn't playing either because I was sick. So they thinking I got it too. So now it's just like everywhere. And my phone is blowing up, like going crazy. I'm like, man, I, I'm trying to like, Say I don't have it, but I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna let the um the our guys, our our team, our you know, our team tell the I guess the world basically that you know I didn't have it, but then Rudy did have it, so that was a bigger thing. So after Rudy got tested for it, obviously y'all saw they shut the game down, this and that, and then they shut the whole NBA down really. So when that happened, we went back to the hotel. Now they had to test the whole team. Like so, I got tested again that night. So everybody got tested, and um, now, mind you, Donovan's around everybody. Like we're all cool, this and that, just sitting next to each other, this and that. And it came back positive that Donovan had it. So now we're all shocked because people that was rock around that we was around all of them because we, you know, Rudy sat right next to me on the on the plane. So. It was just shocking to see that those two out of everybody was the only one that had it, and then everybody else didn't have it. So it was definitely a weird, weird time. But then we thinking like, okay, we're gonna go back quarantine fourteen days, and the season gonna, you know, keep going or get back to starting. And that's not what happened. Obviously, everybody saw what happened. We was off for three months after that. But it was definitely a crazy experience. Um, and. That's when it hit all of us that man, this is this is for real. Like this is something that is gonna probably pick up and before you knew it, like two weeks later, you just seeing everything start shutting down. It's already been told us coronavirus. This is real. Yeah, it's almost like we were the, the first to pull the plug dang there. So that's what it felt like. Jean Michel as the as the brother. What what was going through your mind when you're hearing your, your brother's name in all of this mess? Man, that's funny. I was in the Congo at the time. So I was back home in the Congo doing some work there. And uh, so he's texting me, you know, telling me, uh, yeah, he wasn't going to play. He's not feeling very well. So I didn't think anything of it because, you know, like he said, he wasn't that big uh, here. And he was, definitely wasn't big at all in Africa because they only right. had like a thousand cases or something like that. <clears throat> So I'm like, yeah, so I get the thing. Everybody's saying, well, Emmanuel Moody test positive for the coronavirus. And I'm like, what? I called him like, you test positive? He said, no, nah, I didn't test positive. But, you know, since I was sick, I'm like, damn, man. So here we go, man. So, you know me, I'm thinking of, I'm worried about getting the word out that he doesn't have it uh, just for, you know, it's crazy times. Nobody know what's going on. Nobody know. Everybody texting me and everybody calling me. Hey man, is your brother okay? Praying for y'all, uh, man. man people like, thought I was in, on my deathbed. Man, they like, like I'm getting messages like, "Yo, any pain you going through?" I, <laughs> I was getting messages like, "Like I'm about to die." I mean, it's a serious thing. Don't get it twisted. Oh, no. Yeah, like it's a serious thing. I'm not knocking that, but just the message that I was receiving, people that I ain't hear from in four years, you know what I mean? Like, that's how serious it is, but they think I'm about to pass away. Like, that's how, how serious it was. So 
the messages I was getting, heartfelt type messages, calls. So I answered a few calls, people crying. I'm like, yo, I am fine. Like, <laughs> chill. Like, that's not crazy. It was a, a movie movie type thing. And I called Rudy that, that night. I was like, man, how are you feeling? Like, you good? And he was like, man, I'm fine. Like, me and Rudy going back. Like, I felt worse. than The symptoms that I had, you would think I for sure had it. And Rudy... Yeah. He didn't have like nothing like that. He was just feeling normal. The only thing that he said he was starting to feel um, was his taste like going away a little bit. But uh, that was like one of the symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. The me, I was coughing. I'm talking about spitting stuff out. Like I was like, man, yo, I'm feeling my baggy eyes, all that. So, but me, it was just the flu. Like everybody, if you had the flu, you know what that feels like. But yeah, man, that was like he said. Like he called me, he's like he called me laughing though. Like, yo, what's going on? But I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. You, you talked about coming to America being one of your favorite or being your favorite movie. It's one of my favorite movies. One of my other favorite movies is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I never seen that. Brother, when we get off, I don't know if on Netflix, but, but yeah. you'll find it. Your brother's laughing, but I remember there was a scene where, like, basically the movie takes place where he's playing sick because he's trying to get off from school. He had taken like mad days off from school yeah. playing sick. So, like, his sister went to school, his parents went to work, and like, people like, we're, we're praying for Ferris, we're praying for Ferris, but Ferris is lying the whole time that he's yeah. sick. He's going to Chicago Cubs games. He's going to the restaurant. He's late hoping the whole day. He got his girl out. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. He's living. So when I hear you hear you talk about this, this like the NBA version of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. Right. Nah, facts. But I mean, but we wanted to hoop though. So because yeah. I mean, after it, it was cool taking a break here and there for because what's funny is me and um Joe was talking. Me and Joe Ingles were like we was in practice like right before we went to OKC. We're like, and because we kind of just got back from All Star break, so you yeah. know, it breaks a week, and we're like, man, I wish we can have like another, another one week, right? One week off, <laughs> and then we had three months off. But after that, like first couple of weeks, I was like, man, it's time to give. Like we was like, it's time to get back to hoping or something. Like we gotta do something. So it was just different. What is? And this is a question for both of you guys. What is something that you learned about yourself? or you self-improved in an area? Because um, I would imagine with basketball and just life, you've traveled all around the world. What are some things that you've self-improved or learned about yourself that you've carried over into the now? During quarantine? Yeah. I can stay put. <laughs> like, I don't need to, you know, you can figure out something to, to do other than, because I mean, we're always on the go. So it did feel a little different, like just being there. But at the same time, it was like, man, this what I had was just hooping. But other than that, I was like, man, I'm I'm chilling. Like I ain't gotta be here or there all the time. Like, and then on top of that, it's the first time I spent that much time with like my family too. So that was cool. And um, you know, we had game nights here and there, so stuff like that. Um, but what I learned is just patience with that. I mean, everybody always say you got to be patient, you got to be patient, but it forced you to be patient with a lot of different things, whether that's, you know, your job or, you know, um, 
see other people as well. So it was it was that was the the positive of it. Shoot, sure, man. For me, it was more so productivity, man. Uh, you know, because on the basketball court, things not always going going to happen the way that you want it to happen. You might go 0 for 12 on a game, but you still got to find a way to be productive. So for me, that was it. That's what I took from basketball during this time. Just, you know, finding a way to still be productive. You know, you can't go nowhere, but you can still get some work done. Uh, so that was my thing, man. How to, that's, that's what I took over. Mayo, do you think that people unfairly treated and criticized Rudy Gobert through this whole COVID thing? Or do you think it was the lack of not knowing about COVID? Yeah, man, I think it was the lack of not knowing. Uh, kind of, I kind of felt bad for Rudy with all the stuff that he was getting uh, because, and he he will tell you himself, he he was the one who got caught doing the whole like touching. You remember when he was touching the microphones and doing that, whatever, being uh, irresponsible, I guess you could say. But honestly, at that time, we didn't know too much about it. So like, even in the locker room, we'll be like, somebody would cough and be like, you know, you joking and you joking about it. And then, but it just sucked that, it sucks that he tested positive and then they had that video out there for it. So, you know, and they don't see what's going on behind, you know, closed doors or behind uh, with camera, the cameras being off. But not a lot of people didn't know. And we was all trying to figure out as we went, like we didn't know because they, our doctor came to us and told us that, you know, you guys probably won't get it because you, you guys are active. Y'all don't have, you know, uh, another type of sickness here and there, whatever. They said like, they were telling us that older people is the ones that that's going to get it like the people 60 and above like those are the people that's going to get it so obviously we're not thinking it's about to hit us or in our locker room or whatever and when it did it was just like man like it sucks but at the same time we're learning with rudy like we were getting more information with him and we had a group text a group message with the team like we'll all like inform each other you know okay don't do this don't do that like if you start feeling this like that's what it is so we was all learning as we went but it did suck to see that he was getting the the hate but in a way this is not i'm not saying it's a good thing but when other people got it even nba players i think it it made people realize like man like this is it's just not him you know what i mean like this is it's going around so i think once that happened it kind of died off on him do you think that the dynamics um you know everybody has sources i, I have sources but um Y'all have sources. At the end of the day, do you feel as though the way that the media covered the dynamics between Rudy and Donovan was unfair? Yeah, I mean, but they, you know, they worked out their differences. I think the, me the media is always going to make a story seem way worse than what it is, to be honest with you. Uh, that's just, that's their job. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, we knew that there was some tension, obviously, but when we played, when they played on the court, you can see, you can't see that too much. You really can't see that. But um, I think they they worked out that differences, and they they had a talk between them two, and we weren't involved in it. And you know, I don't know truly what was said, but as soon as we got to the bubble, or well, really, we you know we got to go home. Well, got to go to our markets uh, like two weeks before we went to the bubble. And some of us saw each other and it was kind of, it was just normal. Uh, I think 
you know, what they did was trying to break break the team up and have more drama, this and that, whatever. But without them two, they need each other to be successful in my eyes. They they like one and two or one A, one B, whatever. Uh, you know, I'm not even going to separate them like that, but they both have a very important part into that team and into that organization. Before I start talking about the Nuggets, uh, Jean-Michel, I got to ask you, you played a Southern Methodist under Larry Brown. Um, Larry Brown is probably, well, he is one of the most accomplished coaches, past or present. He won a national championship. He won an NBA championship. Um, What did you learn from Larry Brown? Why you were that? Man, uh, what didn't I learn from Larry Brown? at SMU. Uh, I learned everything about basketball from Larry Brown, I would say. So at when I got to SMU, my first week of practice, I questioned every coach I ever had before. Hmm. Because just how much I learned about the game of basketball, about the point guard position, you know, just things like and get, don't get me wrong, he's a hard person to play for. He's not easy to play for at all. But if you just kind of give him a little bit, if you open up a little bit to him and let him just pour in a little bit into you, I think he makes you 40 times the, be- the, the basketball player you were before. So I learned everything about basketball from just, uh, man, an intellectual point of view. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not... To me, I was I was an athlete, so it was always just go out there and hoop. You know, like I'm always I'm just go out there and I'm a hoop. I'm using my athleticism. You know, that's what's gonna get me, that's gonna what's gonna set me apart. But I started thinking the game a lot more, and I really I realized that I didn't have to use my athleticism all the time. You know, uh, if I thought the game, and if I saw things develop before they actually happened, then I didn't have to use my athleticism. I I, I could save. I could have saved. You know my second ACL because I tore my ACL twice. So I could mm-hmm. my second one had I you know been able to think the game the way he helped me uh, you know taught me how to how to how to you know learn the game. And uh, man, I was watching your interview with uh, Stephon Marbury, <laughs> <laughs> and he was talking about uh, he was talking about LB, uh-huh. and I was like, man, it's crazy because every player that's ever played for Larry Brown will tell you you'll get you'll get one story where you get Stefan Marbury's, you know, version. And then you get someone like me where I'm like, man, I learned everything from Larry Brown. Or you get someone like Iverson who will tell you like, yo, man, if you just give him a little bit of, you know, just let him in a little bit, he will help you out, man. And he's a he's an amazing person. Just pure off the court. Let's take basketball aside. The thing with Larry Brown, if he's for you, He's for you. It don't matter what anybody else tell him about you. He's going to fight for you regardless of whatever is going on. Right. And I think with the thing with Steph, had he had Stefan understood what Larry Brown was actually trying to do with him, sure. he would have kind of, you know, he would have bought in and he would have like, I think he would have been, he would have been into the Hall of Fame by now. You know what I'm saying? Because I say that because. Larry Brown would take a week. He'll pick a player for one week straight or a month straight, right? And you can't do right in practice. You can't do nothing right. Like, he'll just pick you out, and it don't matter what you do. You can do everything the way he asks you to do, but he, you can't do right. He's like, man, oh, this, this butthole, oh, this guy, this guy, you know. 
but you're doing everything right, right? So he's like, it makes if you don't get it, then you will be like, man, he's just after me. He just knows he don't like me. But that that actually means that he sees the most in you. So he wants to make you, you know, basically he wants to build tough skin. Tough skin. I think he said something about uh, the meeting they had when he was talking. They was going around asking what you know, what's the role and how can we do. It? And he said something about let's not forget about having fun. And LB was like, oh, this guy here is talking about having fun. But and then he said something else. He said, well, he talked to Isaiah Thomas, and Isaiah Thomas was like, well, you playing all these minutes. Mm-hmm. He's like, but you don't get it. So he's really telling you what he thinks about you by the minutes that he's playing you. So he he thinks mm-hmm. that you're probably the most important person on the team. But he wants you to be able to be, like you said earlier, your point guard is an extension of the coach on the floor. So he wants you to be that for him. And once people understand that, man, he'll take your game from ground zero to a thousand. I didn't I didn't play for LB, but uh everybody everybody always asks me, do I ever regret not going to because uh, I signed there to go there and then I went right. but everybody always asks me, Do I regret not going to college? And I don't regret it, honestly. Uh I got a chance to take care of my family and all that. But the only thing that I, I wish I had a chance to is um play play under, you know, Larry Brown. And me and him have a real close relationship to this day. Like like John said, he'll call me and we'll be on the on the phone hour hour and a half just talking basketball, and he's breaking stuff down, and it's it's helped me tremendously. But that's probably one thing um, I probably you know wish I had a chance to do because he's cra- I'm crazy, he's crazy, so I think it would <laughs> it would have helped me honestly because I I've always responded better to a, honestly a crazy coach. <laughs> if I'm being just honest, yeah. So that's when I, Emmanuel, when I when I was in grad school, um, I did a, a grad thesis project on. Um, I did a couple. I did one independent study on celebrity and the changing nature of sports journalism. So, like, I talked to like Sasha Vujacic and how the synergy of you know him being married to Maria Sharapova, whether they're considered celebrities or athletes, and all. And then I did another independent study where I discussed. Like Jeremy Tyler, when he left his junior year and went to went overseas to play in Israel, and then you have Brandon Jennings, who, um, you know, mm-hmm. left Oak Hill, after Oak Hill, he committed to Arizona, ended up going to um, play overseas in Italy. And so when I look at you, I feel like it's the second coming of the Brandon Jennings, Jennings experiment, except he went to Italy, you went to China. Mm-hmm. How much different do you think your game would have been um, if – you played college basketball after high school versus playing internationally. Like, how did your game evolve from from that situation? Uh, are you asking, did it evolve or did it not evolve? Just the difference, the high would have been either or. I guess both. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that I think, there's pros and cons to everything. I think the you know going to, to China it really helped me as far as growing up a lot faster. Like. I had to grow up real fast, playing with professional players, uh, people trying to feed their families here and there, competing for a spot, a job, you know. So, uh, and over there is very, very physical. People don't understand how physical overseas basketball is. It's very, very physical. Um, So it it helped me to grow up a lot faster and just be a professional, to be honest with you. You had to be there a certain time. You get fined if you don't, you know. The regular, you get fined if you don't show up on time, this and that, whatever. So discipline definitely put that in me. And um, 
the thing with if I would have went to school, like I said, I think I probably would have, you know, in China, there's a language barrier. So certain things a coach is just trying to teach or say might not make sense how somebody here, like Larry Brown would have said it. So it was more so, okay, just like, for example, in China, one thing he told me was like, just be fast and just go score. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but Larry Brown would have said, you can be fast, but this, and I've talked to, to LB about it. Like, as I gotten older, we sat down and talked about it. like last year, we, I was in summer league. He came, he came to summer league with the jazz. So I got a chance to sit there and watch the games with him. And we just broke down the game the whole time, like the whole game. So just saying, okay, this is when you need to attack, or this is when, you know, it's the time to take the shot, shot clock, this, but like, you know, just breaking down the game. So this, the talent was never the, the issue. Um, you know, I've been blessed to have certain different talents, but I would say just the, the mental aspect of it and um, knowing when to do something, when not to do something. That's, that's what would have made a, a tremendous difference. Cause my rookie year, I came in just, who taking whatever shot like you know some i look sometimes at because i like looking like at the progression so seeing if i got better i look sometimes at some, get my rookie games and you know second year games or whatever and i can't watch it like I, it's that even if i had a 25 point game i just don't like watching it because the shots that i took or made it's like man it's a tough horrible shot you know what i mean like it's a bad shot tough horrible shot compared to today like I shoot the shot that I want to shoot just because like we've broken it down. And even if I miss it, I'm like, okay, I can make that eight out of 10 times, you know, like higher percentage shots. Cause uh, that's one thing that I've always focused on as far as um, learning the game now. And he's somebody that definitely has taught me and he would have, that would be my advantage probably going to college more so than going overseas. I'm going to tell you one thing about uh, LB's practices. Uh, you know, I think they give us two hours or two and a half hours NCAA regulations. Like you, you can only practice for like a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Larry Brown's practices are a minimum of three hours, three and a half hours, three and a half hours to four hours, right? So he don't care about none of that stuff. He just care about getting better. And the reason that being is because every single play, there's a stoppage. You know, he's like, because he's going to be teaching throughout the entire practice. So it's like every single play, there's a stoppage. Hey, stop now. You got to do this here, here, and there. And that's why I think he would have benefited, you know, immensely from that. I've never, I've never met somebody that breathes basketball like him. Like he, he called me when he was out of a job. He called me one day out the blue. We're talking. I'm thinking like we're just about to catch up. He's like, hey, do you want me to coach your AAU team? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Not like, he basketball is his his life like that's i always say like man if you don't have basketball like i'm scared because you know i mean like that's what's kind of keeping his heart going right now his because i mean his kids graduated this and that and you know he just wants to be around the game so much and he people don't know he he travels to practices all the time like that's what he does for fun like he'll go to different colleges for practices in the words of the great Allen Iverson, we're talking about practice. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> A few more questions. We talked about coaching. Um, were you surprised that Steve Nash got that Brooklyn Nets job? Man, 
I was only because it came out of nowhere. Nobody saw that coming. Like yeah. nobody saw that coming except the Brooklyn Nets. Like I, I was shocked, but I mean, hey, it, it is it is what it is. I mean, I'm pretty sure you know there was a lot of influence with that decision, but there's a reason why they want that guy there. So. Uh, and I, you know, I think Steve was a great, great player. There's no doubt about it. And uh, we've never seen him coach. So now we're about to see how he is as a coach. Did you guys watch that Lakers game last night? Yep. Yes. My God. Yes. AD yes. Sam like that. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. He is. Yes, Were y'all shocked that like AD the first half eleven points finished with thirty one points? What's well, funny was um, <laughs> Chuck was talking about at halftime how uh, you know I don't know if you heard it he was like Derek Coleman yeah he was like he's just nice he got everything and like he's just nice and it was funny because it's almost like he re- he heard him and he responded like he responded and I think that. Chuck was right though. He's probably the most story, one of the most for sure unguardable players like the league we have. But he definitely like y'all heard his interview. He he wants to take those shots. So I wasn't shocked by the fact that he made it. I mean, that's what he want he wants to do. But the game was was crazy. I know Nicola was passing too. Uh Jokic, he was going crazy. And for a quick second I thought that the Nuggets was definitely gonna pull that that game out. And, um, yeah, that shot was crazy, though. Yeah. Follow up, because you would know. If you're the Lakers, like, okay, Lakers are up 2-0, right? Mm-hmm. Y'all was up. Like, the Nuggets, I, I've been saying this all playoffs, they like wine. After that fourth <laughs> cup, they sneaking up on you, damn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not the Lakers, I'm not though, man. I'm not, I'm, not put, I'm not putting nothing past them. Nothing past them because everybody was thinking that the Clippers was going to go ahead and do it, you know, do their thing to them. But and the reason why I say this is because I know those guys personally. Like, you know, if I didn't know them, I wouldn't know. But like, I know the drive that they have. I know the, you know, they want to win and this and that. Like, they're they're going to play hard regardless. regardless. Two part question: You being a former Nugget. And you being friends with those guys, what advice do you give the Nuggets to get back into this series? One and two, where do the Lakers need to improve so that they don't allow the Nuggets to come back? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I would say for the Nuggets to you say what they need to do to get back in. I mean, like I said yesterday, they was there. I think they can't let that game. They gotta forget about that game, but look at what they did um well and i think that was bring energy even pj came in there and started locking up a little bit uh so i think the energy that they have to come out with has to be high even kenny said it he said um you know dwight and um lebron and them those guys being that old they can't be having more energy than the than the younger guys younger guys and i think like the thing with denver the confidence is never the issue I, I don't doubt the confidence at all. I think it's just about locking in more and paying attention to details. Like, like yesterday, um, I think they were trying to switch everything, but 
Mason and Jeremy were so locked in on LeBron that AD snuck and got wide open. That's how he got the shot. And I don't know exactly what Malone told him to do, but, you know, Mason probably could have kept going with AD because LeBron didn't set the screen. But just like, like I said, paying attention to details and the game plan. And if I'm the um, if I'm the uh, the Lakers, you up 2-0, but you can't – it's easier said than done, but you can't relax. You know what I mean? Like those guys – and every team has been up on Denver, including us, been up on Denver, and they always come back, always come back. So somebody has to figure out a way like, okay, we can – we go up – we go up 5, 10. We got to make that 15, 20. Like we can't let them keep getting like, you know, energy or – little stuff like this to get them going so i think that and everybody knows i think in the playoffs just being in and out everybody knows exactly what's coming you know Jokic is going to have the ball you know jamal is going to have the ball you know Bron and ad are going to have the ball but now it's like other people stepping up even if those guys have off games there's other people stepping up and coming in big if the Jazz were in that situation against the and they were the Nuggets and you were playing against the Lakers, I was at Staples uh, the, the the first week of the season when you guys played against the Lakers at Staples. Yeah. AD was making fun of LeBron's. Uh, <laughs> and when I, if you guys were the Jazz, or if you are a part of the Jazz, but if you were playing against the Lakers in the conference finals, how would Quinn Snyder have drew up that play defensively against Anthony Davis? Who would have, would you have shifted? Um, go bear out on Davis, or would you have put Ed Davis on on Davis? I think first. I think you put a um, well. Nikola was guarding the ball. You put. I think Rudy would have been on the ball, like so. Rondo just doesn't make that pass as easy. Um, I think Rondo would have been on. I mean, no, I'm sorry. Um, Rudy would have been on the ball, try to get uh, a deflection first, and then uh, I think we would have switched everything. Honestly, uh, so. Whoever whoever just crosses in front of you, yeah, is your man. Like it's not about like you know what I mean. Like just guard whoever cross. And that's why I said Jer- Jeremy was on Bron yesterday. Like I, I think in his head he was thinking I'm just not gonna let Bron take it or get it. But you can see Mason pointing out like yo get AD, but nobody went to AD and AD was wide open. So they're trying to switch everything, but. LeBron was the best decoy. <laughs> like, you know, the, you know, the ball is probably the place for Brown, but he's just a decoy. And LeBron just stood there. If you look at it, he just stood there. And Nathan and Jeremy stayed with him instead of they forgetting about AD, which had the high hand. Anthony Davis and I have this running joke. Um, at the beginning of the season, he said to me that um, LeBron and him didn't have much time to um, participate in, like, workout because LeBron was doing Space Jam and a bunch of other stuff was still rehabbing. And so he said when the season started, him and LeBron had this joke about the peanut butter, uh, excuse me, about their pick and roll. He said they're like peanut butter and banana. They're not quite a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's funny. <laughs> so for you who have played against the Lakers, um, from your perspective, at what point did the Lakers become peanut butter and jelly? Are they peanut butter and jelly yet? And when did they leave that peanut butter and banana sandwich? Nah, they definitely peanut butter and jelly. I mean, I, you <laughs> you couldn't tell me that they weren't that game three. I don't know. Because, I mean, those guys, it's funny because LeBron will be all the way a pass half court and AD just posting like he literally just throws it across the court to AD posting up or AD spin off for a lot like their chemistry 
it seems like they've been playing together already for for a while. And I think uh, I think what LeBron has done for AD too is just like which AD I know he wants it himself, but like just the the drive to win more so than anything. I mean, sure, AD was first team on defense this year. Like that's that's big. He's always played defense, but like it was another level this year. And their whole team has been playing real, real good defense as well. And I, I think Dwight don't get the credit that he should get too. Like Stevie Wonder can see that. Yeah. Facts <laughs> like he's been he, he I mean obviously he's not the Dwight that's scoring 30, like the old magic or whatever, but just his presence is, is huge out there, man. Like the fact that he can try to play, you know, Jokic um, the best way he can. Uh, I'm not saying Jokic, he's, he's going to get his, but he's making it tough on him too. So, yeah. When I look at the, the final question, um, the Utah Jazz, and when I look at the Dallas Mavericks, you both are, are emerging teams uh, that some people are surprised maybe because they haven't watched basketball throughout the course of the season. Um, but you guys are both young teams. Um, but I feel like you're missing something. Um, some people say it's veteran leadership. Some people say it's more veteran leadership. I see a similarity between both. You being from Dallas, I believe you're a spokesperson that can speak. You play for the Mavericks. There's a lot of dualities on this call today, but you being a member of the Jazz, you can speak. What are both teams missing? One thing that people forget. Well, I don't know if they forget, but Boyan wasn't with us in the bubble. Boyan Bogdanovich, he averaged, he averaged 20. So people think that, like, that was the, the full team, but Boyan was if not one of the most important pieces on that squad, and he was averaging, like I said, 20. Um, but for the Mavericks, um, it's hard to say what's the missing piece, but I think they hmm, – I don't know. Me and John talked about that. I don't know what they're, they're missing, but like you said, it's something that's not just there right now. It might be another another big time star, uh, but then it's like you don't want to get somebody to take Luca off the ball. Uh, it might be. I don't know. I think you need to take Luca off the ball a little bit because then he becomes predictable because everybody knows he's going to have the ball 90% of the time or 95% of the time. So you need another guy in there, I think, that's going to help him. You know, take some stress. Some, some. It's like it's like almost like with James. You know, James is going. James Harden. You know, he's going to have the ball a lot, and that's how Luca. His usage. You know, he's going to have the ball a lot too. So, um, yeah, man. I don't. I thought. You know, they was looking at Kimba before Kimba went to um, to the Celtics. So mm-hmm. that probably could have been something. I think I need Emmanuel Moody. That's what. <laughs> I was going to say they need probably um, somebody that can create on their own for sure and try to get, you know, Luca some breathers or whatever. And, and Trey, Trey did that a little bit during the, um, you know, the playoffs. Trey was hooping. Um, and with Utah, what they missing, um, we didn't have a, uh, we didn't have a like, go-to four, like, like, you know, Jeff Green was the four when he was with us before Jeff Jeff Green left. Yeah. Um, so we didn't have like that presence uh, at the at the four. Even if it's a stretch four, uh, we just we went when we went to our bench. We just went super small. Like you know, we didn't have the size that we, that we needed to to compete at at that different type of level. Because those guys, you know, Denver, you had 
Michael Porter, 6'10", you know, Torrey Craig, 6'7", 6'8", you know, like there's big guards, big wings, and we kind of struggled with that, with that part too. So I think a four that can make a, a, a impact with the Jazz, that would be, be good. I know I said I had one last question, but I do have one final question. The bubble. Yes. It's like this enigma. Uh, people say the food sucks. Some people say they don't have a problem with it. It's free laundry. I thought that was cool. I looked at Dwight Howard's live. I'm like, yo, this like summer camp. Yeah. Played about the like I I when I go on different shows, I, I I tell people from various people that I've spoken to that it's literally like the most overpriced summer camp in history. Yeah, yeah we said we said it's the um it's the some people say the richest prison ever. <laughs> So that's what that's what we were saying, but it might it might have changed because they got families in there, they got you know kids, their wives, this and that. So we didn't experience that part. So if you experience the part like yourself, you can't cross the line. You can't cross the line. <laughs> so like, like, like like life, you know? like the movie life. Like the movie life. <laughs> you can go. You can go to certain like, distance, like literally, like you can't cross the gate. Like certain distance, you could not pass. And I think it was more so like for some people, it really was mental health. Though, like all jokes aside, like some people really were struggling with not having people around and um you know stuff like 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 Stephen A. Smith said, can't have friends. You know what I mean? Like people were. <laughs> so I think it took a toll on some people though, honestly. And it was just uh what what I did like about the bubble, honestly, no there was no home court advantage. So every game anybody can get that game. And that's like I don't know if they are the road the games like that. I'm not saying that's the way I think it's like open gym type. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you always feel like you can go in there and, and win. So, you don't have to worry about cussing you out while you're shooting a free throw, saying something crazy about your kid, your mom, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, some players that with them. But, like, what was, like, okay, you think of high school, you think of open gym. Like, we know what that's like after school. We know what AAU circuit is like. Like, what, okay, so outside of the gym, like, what was the hangout spots? I've heard the barbershop. I've heard karaoke. Like, what was the go-to spots for everybody to kick it? I'm mean, probably the, uh, the, the players lounge. People uh, up there, you know, playing cards and, you know, chilling. Uh, just talking, really. I think that that might have been the go-to spot. Like you said, the, I didn't see too many people. So we wasn't in, we wasn't over there with Houston or you know OKC. We were with um, so the, the top four West teams and the top four East teams in one hotel, and then the rest I think was kind of in the other one. So we was in. The, I guess they said the good hotel, the the hotel where everybody's gonna the playoff team hotel. So, um, um, they have a restaurant in there. Um, fishing, <laughs> fishing, and 
swimming pool, I guess. But I wasn't. I mean, I didn't go swimming or nothing like that. So. <laughs> Like a big screen outside, so if you wanted to watch a game, like if somebody was playing, you can watch. And then you also could like AAU type, like let's say you're the Clippers, I could come to your game at five. You know what I mean? Like you could do that. And you can't do that in the regular season, obviously, because you're not in the same city. Nah. Who was who was somebody that you gotten cool with in the bubble from any team that maybe you've seen from afar that like you didn't like you didn't really know like that? Man, I, to be honest, man, I was chilling, man. I was really going hoop to the naps and I was watching watching my shows, watching Netflix shows. So even though we all stayed in the same hotel. When you, you went downstairs and you walked to the hotel, it's you don't see, see a whole bunch of people. You know what I mean? Because everybody's probably in their room and everything something's always happening. You might be in practice, you might be everybody different schedule. Let's say we practice at two, you might practice at five. So by the time I get back, you're gone. So it was just different like that. Yeah. That's what the people want to know. You answer all my questions to both of you. For those who are still watching and who will watch on the replay or streaming, uh, Emmanuel Moutier and his brother Jean-Michel uh, Moutier, uh, their Emmanuel Moutier Foundation is, is uplifting single parents and children and feed the people in communities across the globe. Make sure to visit EmmanuelMoutierFoundation.org. What am I missing, Jean-Michel, the money man, before we let you go? Shoot, man. Shout out to Legend with his foundation, Legends Life Foundation. Uh, do great work with us and Fourth Family out of New York. Um, they do great work with us as well. So that's, you know, support them as well. Manuel, thank you for your time. Good luck in free agency. And uh, as it his way, we'll leave it like that. <laughs> Scoop B, appreciate you, man. Appreciate y'all. Thank you. And this is Scoopy Radio saying, you bring the coffee and I'll bring the Dunkin'. Come on! My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.